for these last couple of weeks using the Gospel of John. I've mentioned to you it's my favorite gospel. Several weeks ago, we talked about, do you have a a passion for Christ? Are you willing to give up those things that are most valuable to you so that you might surrender yourself to Christ, just as the woman who poured the oil over Christ's head and anointed him gave up something of tremendous, tremendous worth? And then we talked about making decisions in this world, in this life, And that it's all about going through the right door. And they're all doors that we have to go through. But have you walked through the door of Jesus Christ? Have you you found that security, that significance, that satisfaction that only Christ can truly provide? And last week we, we talked about Peter. Talked about Peter and his brokenness, his humility, his terrified, ashamed personality? And are we willing in our brokenness to seek out the Christ, wherever he might be, and to turn our lives over to him, knowing that only he can restore us, only he can truly make us whole, only he can really make us complete, no matter how broken, no matter how ashamed, no matter how terrified, only Christ can really make us whole. Today we celebrate the Christian holiday of Pentecost. It's always celebrated on the 50th day after Easter, Penta, Pentecost. It's commemorating the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples and upon the followers of Jesus Christ while they were in Jerusalem. And this is identified there in Acts chapter 2 during the Feast of Weeks. And there's a whole passage there that talks about receiving the Holy Spirit. Many Christians believe that that represents the birth of the church as we know it and as we understand it today. But I'd like to refer to another piece of Scripture today that still also reveals the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Jesus appears to the disciples behind closed doors, I want to remind you today that The Holy Spirit is not something that we often talk about in church. I'm not sure exactly why. We talk about God the Father all the time, and certainly we are about Jesus Christ. We mention His name every week, but sometimes the Holy Spirit takes third place, and the Holy Spirit shouldn't take third place because the Holy Spirit has been left here for us, given to us, And I'd like you to follow along with me there in John chapter 20, starting with the 19th verse. Following your Bibles, you can follow up on the screen. This This is what's written by John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. You know, I've always been fascinated by this piece of Scripture because John starts to identify that a person's power to forgive or to retain sins is directly related to the receipt of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Do you have the Spirit? Is the Spirit a part of who you are and what you are? The Holy Spirit was sent that we might have a resource to guide and to strengthen us. As Christ ascends back to the Father, He leaves us with the Spirit in everyday life so that we might have that strength to overcome the obstacles and the problems and the issues of this life that we are not capable of handling by ourselves. And yet the Spirit is. He is a divine partner able to help us do those things that we simply cannot do, or perhaps I should say more importantly, that we will not do. I've been thinking a lot about forgiveness lately. There certainly have been situations in my life, and when you talk about transitioning, when you talk about leaving a church, when you talk about going on to new and different things, the idea of forgiveness comes to the forefront because there are a lot of things that you've left undone, a lot of things that you would have liked to have completed, a lot of relationships that you would like to restore, and probably some of those have to do with forgiveness because we all stand in need of forgiveness. Not only is it important to forgive, it is also important to accept forgiveness. We have to give and receive. It's a two-way street. The story is told about old Joe who was dying. And he had been for years a great friend with Bill. But for the last several years, they had been at odds with one another. Something had happened, and now they couldn't stand each other. They were enemies, butting heads all the time. But wanting to straighten things out, Joe sent word to Bill to come visit him because he was near death. And when Bill arrived, Joe told him from his hospital bed, he said, you know, I'm afraid to go into eternity with all these bad feelings between us, with all these things that I've said and I've done to you. And so reluctantly, with a great deal of effort, Joe apologized to Bill for all that he had said and all that he had done. And he asked for Bill's forgiveness in his life. Bill assured him that he forgave him. And they talked for a while and they visited. And finally, Bill got up, got ready to go. He was headed toward the door and Joe stopped him and said, wait a moment. Bill turned around and Joe told him, now remember, if I get better, none of this counts. You can't have forgiveness that way. It's not qualified that way. It can't not count. You've got to forgive from the heart. Will Williman is a retired bishop in the United Methodist Church. He wrote these words, forgiveness is not natural. It is not a universal human virtue. Vengeance, retribution, Violence, those are natural human qualities. It is natural for humans to defend themselves, to snarl and to crouch into a defensive position when attacked, to howl when we're hurt, and to bite back when somebody done us wrong. That's who we are. That's who we are. Forgiveness doesn't come easy. Now, I think most of you as parents or grandparents would recognize and agree with the fact that We take our job seriously about teaching our children right from wrong, good from bad, 
yes from no? And usually we do a really good job, but I'd like to tell you today that our children can teach us something very important about forgiveness, something that all of us as adults have either learned and forgotten or we just simply don't pay attention to it anymore. Lessons that children are better at teaching us than we are teaching ourselves. Think about all the things in your life like birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, when we get something known as presents, when we get gifts. You know, kids love gifts, don't they? You can never give them too many gifts. I just had my grandchildren with me for two weeks. You can never give them too much stuff. They love you for giving stuff. They anticipate you giving them stuff. Receiving a gift is good, is good. For adults, it's a little more difficult because we end up worrying about the cost of the gift, and then we worry about reciprocating the gift to give back to somebody, and then we worry about whether the gift comes with strings. Let me give you this so you are beholden to me so I can ask you whatever I want to in the future. That's how we think. Rather cynical, wouldn't you say? Suddenly receiving is a little bit more complicated for adults than it is for kids. And I think receiving a gift is hard for almost all of us if we think about any of those things and just don't accept the gift given out of love. Adults usually become better givers than they become receivers. Think about it. The other thing I think children can teach us about this gift, think about it. On the kindergarten playground, kindergarten playground, you can have a real knockdown, drag-out battle over who gets custody of the ninja turtle. You can have a rough one. Tears, blows can be involved, some kicking, some screaming, some yelling. And usually after a truce is called, usually by the kindergarten teacher, people shake hands, and in a short time, all is forgiven. We go back playing as though nothing ever happened. There are no thoughts of revenge on the kindergarten playground. There's no nurturing of anger. There are no dreams about retaliation on the monkey bars. There is no confrontation. It's simply one and done. It's over. Notice I'm talking about four-year-olds, not 40-year-olds or 50-year-olds or 60-year-olds. If I haven't named your decade, don't worry, I'll get to it. Sometimes we expect and accept forgiveness is an extremely difficult thing. We don't do it easily. We learn how to receive a gift, no matter how difficult that may be. We get something out of it, like we get a paperweight, or we get a restaurant card, or we get something. But when you give something, when you extend forgiveness, it always costs you something. Always. It costs you your anger, your revenge, your hatred. That's what it costs you. And sometimes we're not willing to pay that price, are we? We're not willing to get rid of our anger. We're not willing to get rid of our revenge. The call for forgiveness really is what drives our hearts. And maybe that's really the question I need to ask you today. What drives your heart? What's your real passion when it comes to your heart? Are you driven by love? 
Are you driven by service? Are you driven by the need to feel superior over somebody? Are you driven by guilt? Are you driven by greed? Are you driven by grace? Because in forgiveness, we see what really drives our hearts. Offering or refusing to offer forgiveness squeezes that out of our heart, whether it's love or greed or guilt or service. What drives you shows up in how willing you are to forgive or not to forgive. There's an old Chinese proverb many of you have probably heard, the person who seeks revenge should dig two graves. The person who seeks revenge should dig two graves. Keeping and maintaining an unforgiving attitude leads to one's own spiritual death. You kill somebody else and you kill yourself at the same time. Ultimately, being unforgiving does more harm to you than anybody else. Keeping that into your heart, and boy, I tell you, I can speak, I can speak from authority, from knowledge. Keeping that revenge and that hatred inside of you kills you faster than anybody else. Dig two graves, because one of them is for you. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a wonderful story. I didn't read it today, but you all know it. There's a story where Peter is asking Christ, how many times should I forgive if somebody does me wrong? And he says, seven times? Now, we don't know exactly where he got that. Peter was probably being rather generous because the rabbi said you should forgive three times. So maybe Peter was saying, listen, I'll double that and add one for good measure. Seven times. That should be enough. And Christ turns to him and says, no, 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 no. Seven times? No. How about 70 times seven times? Or 77 times, depending on what your version of the Bible is. That's what Christ told him. Not seven times. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever forgiven anybody seven times? Anybody? Anybody? Most of us say once. Twice we'll go, well, fool me once. How many times have you forgiven somebody? Seven times? And here's Christ telling Peter, telling those disciples, telling us, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven, which is a metaphor which means forgive again and again and again. As long as forgiveness is asked, you need to be forgiving. That's what we need to be about. It's just like love. Love doesn't stop. You don't just love, check off the box, forgive. Forgive. And I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say that. I know it is. That's not part of our human nature, right? But that's what Christ is telling Peter, and that's what he's telling us. Seventy times seven. Seventy-seven times. Depending on what your version is. As often as forgiveness is needed, you need to forgive. That's Jesus' challenge to Peter. Jesus' challenge to the disciples. And Jesus' challenge to us. The gift of forgiveness, no matter how many times needs to be given again and again and again. As long as you live, as long as you take breath. When we were four years old, it was easy to forgive and forget, wasn't it? Forgiveness doesn't come quite so easy when we get to be adultish in nature. 
It's not easy at all. And all of us have stories that we could share about forgiveness, or I should say the lack thereof. How someone hurt us, how we forgave them, and how they never did anything. Like they never recognized it, they never appreciated, they never said, well, I forgive you too. Like it's back to a gift, folks. We want to give so we get something in return. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness starts with you. You've got to forgive first, expecting nothing in return. We need to remember. We need to forgive and just forget the hurt. He calls us no longer to use that hurt against our neighbor. I love the story about the husband who went to a party and made a complete fool of himself. I'll let you fill in the details. But the next morning he got up and feeling an awful lot of remorse, he went to his wife and said, Sweetheart, would you forgive me for everything I did last night at the party? She thought about it for a moment and said, Yes, dear. Yes, I'll forgive you. He felt wonderful. But for the next few months, any time he did something that displeased his wife, she brought up the party. And this went on for about three or four months until he finally said, Sweetheart, I I thought you told me you forgave me for that. She smiled and said, I did forgive you for that, sweetheart. I just don't want you to forget that I forgave you. You can't do that. You can't hold it over somebody's head. It's not used as a hammer. Forgive it. Let it go. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Forgiveness is not pretending the event never occurred. It's not pretending that it just was whisked away. It hurt, but it should never control your behavior. It could ne- you should never control who you are. I should say this, forgiveness is not forgetfulness, but don't use that against somebody because that's not true forgiveness. It's more than just simply let bygones be bygones. It's simply saying, I love you enough to forgive you the slate's wiped clean Let's go on. You know, some of you ask me about being a pastor sometimes, and you know it's not an easy calling. It's a difficult calling. Sean certainly appreciates that, as do a lot of our retired pastors in here. But we have a saying that you all are familiar with, that we as your pastors should love the sheep. Love the sheep. Even when you'd like to make lamb chops, you got to love the sheep. And that's true. We have to love the sheep. And we remember that. And forgiveness is a part of loving the sheep and trying to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me for who I am. Let me forgive you and let us continue on. I want to tell you that no one can truly forgive without knowing and accepting the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. That's the crux of everything we are, the gift that he has already given us. Forgiveness comes with the strength and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because it's something that does, is not innate to us. It's something that we need the Spirit's help on. And no one can be forgiving of others and their human failings until we have felt the power of forgiveness from the cross. The power of Jesus' gift, redeemed by his blood, and the fact that we are forgiven. 
our ability to forgive will always be linked, always be linked to Jesus' love for us and God's compassionate forgiveness of us. And while it's never easy, while it is never simple, it forces us to look at our own weaknesses and accept the weaknesses of others. We all stand in the need of forgiveness. There is not one of us that doesn't need to be forgiven and doesn't need to give the gift of forgiveness. If we are called to forgive 77 times or 70 times, 7 times, we are called to open ourselves up and to be kind of conduit of Jesus' forgiveness of us. It comes from Him, it comes through us, and it is shared. Let me leave you with a story today. It's been 12, 12 and a half years. October 2006. Charles Carl Roberts, a milk driver serving the Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He walked into the West Nickel Mines Amish school that morning. He ordered all the adults to leave. He ordered all the boys to leave. And he kept ten little girls behind. And unfortunately, he tied their hands and did what was horrific in killing them and finally killing himself. We don't know why. It was a horrific, evil act. Unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, it seems to repeat itself again and again and again. But what made this event so different is that he had told the little girls that he was angry with God and he needed to kill some good little Christian girls, which didn't make any sense whatsoever. When the Amish community gathered to honor and bury their daughters, they also offered their condolences and their forgiveness to the shooter's wife and his children. More than half in attendance at his funeral at Georgetown United Methodist Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, was the Amish community. The Amish community gathered, loved the widow and her children, even took part of the offering that was given for the children and gave it to her so that perhaps she could start a life over again in the midst of that horror. This evil act was never condoned, but the forgiveness that poured out from this Amish community to a hurting family was absolute. Was absolute. Forgiveness is essential, folks. It is what we are called to do by Christ. It is a redemptive act. When we forgive, we turn an enemy into a friend. And we witness to the faith that we so vehemently profess to believe in. Forgiveness is the glue. It is the fuel of the church. There is no gospel without forgiveness. 
There is no relationship one with another without forgiveness. And there is no relationship with God without forgiveness. You can't have it unless you can forgive. It's not easy. It's not simple. But Christ asked us to do it just like he told Peter and the disciples. I leave you with this, that every one of you within the sound of my voice today, every one of you has someone that you need to forgive. This week, this day, perhaps it's yourself. Can you forgive yourself? Is there something that you need to forgive yourself for? Perhaps it's somebody in your family done you wrong. Maybe you haven't spoken to somebody in your family for years. and You need to reach out and forgive. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor that you can't stand. Well, who's going to take the first step out the door next door and go try and forgive? Perhaps it's somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with. There's not one of us that doesn't need to forgive and doesn't need to be forgiven. So maybe that's your homework for the week. Start forgiving. And you know exactly who you are, and you know exactly who you have to forgive. I've read this before, but I want to read it to you again. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God most certainly would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And that's why he sent us a Savior. Know that in the name of Jesus Christ this day, you are forgiven. Now as you leave this place, as you leave his house, go out there and do likewise. Again and again and again and again and again. Would you bow your heads with me, please?